So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. This is Emily, and I'm here with Andrew, as always. Hey, everybody. It feels like it's been a long time since we've spoken with you. I know for you guys, you've heard us fairly regularly, right, because we've released a couple episodes, Mm -hmm. but it's been a while since we've recorded because... We had a hurricane. You know what's so and funny? smack Louisiana. What? Yeah. Okay, so we did an episode like this last October during hurricane season about hurricanes, and we opened with that. Really? Yes. Oh, as you just listened to the Yes, listen- I had to listen to it so I didn't repeat like content. <laughs> but we literally talked about how like it's been a long time since we recorded because we have all these guest episodes. Um and like we can't just release all the guest episodes at the same time because then they would all be gone so it's just really funny that like, <laughs> i listened to it intentionally to not repeat and then you went ahead and opened the same way so if this is your first time listening Anyways, to the podcast uh, we're super excited you're here uh we here at outpost of the podcast really want to help people come closer to christ and do that through informal kind of relaxed conversation yeah. Yeah. And so we're not authorities. We are just sharing our own experiences and we bring on cool guests. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to talk about some fun things. Yeah. Or not fun so, things. Well, some inter- I think they're interesting, interesting things. things. I think they're pretty interesting things. I don't think they're fun. <laughs> but um, so last year when we talked about hurricanes, we focused a lot on um, Andrew's experiences with hurricanes growing up in Louisiana and last year's hurricane experiences um we didn't get any hurricanes personally last year we got a lot of like tropical storms and uh-huh um but we didn't really we, experience we, so louisiana did but where yes, we live we personally yeah we had hurricanes kind of come yeah. left and right and right and right of us and so this year i guess it was our turn yeah so this year i mean for this episode we wanted to talk more about our experience preparing for the hurricane. This is Hurricane Ida, and um, what went well for preparations. What we realized that we definitely should have done better. Yeah. Um, and then I'd love to turn some time over to Andrew also for more of the hurricane relief stories. Yeah, there have been some really cool stories. He's had some really good experiences getting out there and helping people and. I love to hear those stories. Yeah, so. I'm excited to share some of them. Okay. So how do you want to start? Well, let's go ahead and start by some of the sharing some of the ways that we prepared for the hurricane. Okay. So we hear there's a hurricane coming, we've been tracking it, and we see, okay, the eye is coming right for us, basically. Yeah. So, uh, which it ended up moving farther away from us, so... Not that much farther. We were still right. in the eye wall. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so what are some of the things that we did to prepare? Well, a lot of the preparation has to take place beforehand because mm-hmm. while hurricanes are not like tornadoes, like they don't just pop up out of nowhere or like earthquakes, they don't just pop up kind of unexpectedly. Uh, you have days to watch it. Right. You like, have, you have yeah. days to watch it, but there are so many uh, storms that come 
in the Gulf. And so you never know which one's going to be strong, and you never know which one's going to come and hit you. And so you don't always you don't you get to a point where you're you're not alarmed about every single storm that's in the Gulf. You're aware mm-hmm. of it, and you're watching it, but you're not super alarmed. Uh, and by the time you find out that this is going to be a big storm, you're likely going to lose power, and the storm is going to hit us for sure. Um, it's a little too late to do all of your, like, purchasing of stuff preparation. Right. Which is why having a food storage and having kind of like a little storage or stockpile of extra things that you would need is so helpful. Yeah. Super helpful. For everybody, not just if you live in hurricane right. territory. And uh, unfortunately, these kinds of events bring out the best in people, and it also brings out the worst in people. And so when... I've, in preparation for hurricanes and in, in the aftermath of hurricanes, I don't generally like to be out in public. Mm-mm. It's super eerie. Yeah. It's creepy. It's eerie. You see aggravated people and people are stressed yeah. out. Yeah, and people are really short with each other. Oh, and, it's, yeah. It's, uh, we have yeah, a really good friend who is a nurse at one of the ERs in our area, and she's told me some crazy stories about... Uh, how people are like snapping under the stress mm-hmm. and do crazy, crazy stuff and end up in the ER or end up sending other people to the ER. Uh, and so it's not a, a time where I like to be out and about. And so if I can get as much of the preparation done way, way, way beforehand, that that's good. I mean, one thing I didn't do well is, I guess we could say the things we did well. So we have, we have our food storage, mm-hmm. we have pretty good food storage. Um, we had things charged, so we had like all of our devices charged and all of like charging blocks charged and um, battery packs charged for flashlights and fans, like uh, battery fans, because we uh, were warned by our energy company or our electricity company that we would be out of power, but we didn't know how long. And when I thought like, okay, out of power, a day, two days, no, we were out of power for. 11, I think. Yeah, 11 days. 11 days. days. And I wasn't that surprised. I told like, honey, this is going to be like a Cat 4, maybe a Cat 5 hurricane. Yeah, well, this was my real, like, my first time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And there are other areas that are still out of power and yeah. will be for a long time, and, and which blows my mind because 11 days was crazy. Yeah, it's really difficult with little kids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, prepping, getting all of your batteries and everything, all that kind of stuff. Uh, getting all that ready, understanding like your your emergency preparedness plan, like making sure. Um, I grabbed all of our seventy two hour kits and my first aid kit and my go bag and all of the things that I would want. And we grabbed like all of our documents and and all that stuff, like all the things we would need to take with us if we had to go. And we like prepositioned it and and it's super scary thing, but making sure that you have a. Um, I always leave a hatchet in the attic, mm-hmm. um, but I also put a power saw in there this you time. You should probably explain why. So, um, this was a lesson that a lot of us in Louisiana learned uh, after Katrina, after we went and cleaned up after Katrina, we, we went down into New Orleans and found that a lot of people, um, as the water rose... And the, like water rose in New Orleans, a lot of people climbed up into their attics, and then the water kept rising, and then they had nowhere to go, and so they, some people were able to break through the break through their roofs with 
their hands and their feet and whatever they had around them. But a lot of people died from drowning in their attics. And so uh, if you live here, you never know if there's going to be a levee that breaks or if the water's going to get crazy. And I'm not super, like, I wasn't super worried about us really flooding because we're not in an area where that would likely happen, but you never know. Uh, Like, we live relatively close to the Mississippi. Yeah, and so that's the only thing. But Um, we're far enough inland that we likely wouldn't get a ton of storm surge, and so it's really, really unlikely. But after having gone into New Orleans after Katrina, I'm like, no, I think we are going to make sure that we have an axe in the... uh, Mm-hmm. in the attic just in case uh, and so making sure that's there um, making sure that everything's clear for you to get out of the house if you need to for whatever reason and so making sure that all those like planning things are done mm-hmm. and then going taking, taking pictures of every room in the house for insurance purposes just in case yes yeah, floods uh and we i still did go out i didn't let emily go out but i went out and like got, he was last the one at groceries. Yeah, and, doing groceries uh, and filling gas cans. Yeah, and that's that's probably that was the, another thing that shocked me too. Is like, oh, gas. Everyone needs it, not for their cars, but for their generators. Yeah. So that was one thing I wish I had done much better with was gas preparation. So last year I did re- a really really good job. Um, we had about like thirty gallons of gas going into hurricane season that was just ready, uh, and I just slowly used it over the course of the year and there were i had about 12 gallons that i didn't put uh oh what's that called preservative not preservative but there's a thing that keeps the gas you can put it in the gas to keep it from going bad hmm. and i forgot to put it in and hmm. so the gas was bad okay. uh and so i had like seven gallons of gas like mm-hmm. when like when the storm came uh, and so Trying to run around and get gas is a super stressful thing right before storms. Because everyone's doing the same thing. And it takes, I mean, gas stations are out of gas. I mean, right now it's fine. Yeah. but, but So we're talking about before. Before we're so, we're the hurricane before. and during, it's like, there's no gas. Yeah, especially after. Uh, so yeah. before there was, there was gas, it was just long lines for the most part. Uh-huh. Uh, so... That's preparation. And then, like, making sure, like, getting everything off of our patio, making sure everything is picked up, taking our flagpole down, uh, those kinds of things, like getting the house ready. So, what we could have done better, and I feel like every house is different, right? So, you won't really know what your home needs. And every storm's different. And every storm's different. You won't know what your house needs until it goes through this. So, like, last year we didn't have any of this, so we didn't know... This year, we realized, okay, we should board up our front door and the back door. Yes. So because we, we had, had water. sustained um, at least 100, I think it was close to 100, 510 mile per hour winds. So not gusts, like sustained 100 mile hour winds coming straight out our front door. And we walked out. As soon as the storm came in, um, we brought all the kids into our bedroom and oh, we brought the kids. The kids stayed in like our closet, and then we were in our bedroom just because like the, the direction the wind was coming in. We weren't really worried about like our windows breaking. Um, but then we like were hearing rattling coming from the family room, so we went out to check. And the wind was coming straight at the front of the house, so like right at the front door. Yeah. And so it was rattling the front door really hard. And I and was- the door like the door is locked and deadbolted, and it was like 
blowing open. Like water was blowing into the through the cracks of the door and in through the holes in the doorknob. Like yeah, and the door was like rattling on its hinges, and so I crazy. Yeah, it was. It was really it. Um, it was worrisome. We'll say that it was worrisome. So we like I pushed the piano in front of the TV or in front of the TV tool in front of the 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 door. the door, and nothing that was freaking me out is I could hear the stop signs and the yield signs, and like the the. Like the driving yeah. signs on the road, I could hear them being ripped off the posts, and right. so I'm like, every time I go to the door, I'm terrified that like the wind is going to rip off the stop sign from across the road and chop your head off and ch- like shoot it through my window. Yeah, because the wind's going over 100 miles an hour, and there are gusts that are like way higher than that. And those metal signs, they'll just slice your head right off. Right, and we had heard one a little bit before um, get ripped off and like fly down our. Not our alley, but like between our, our house and our neighbor's house. Yeah. And so we bring that out. We bring the uh, the piano out. And then we brought, uh, I started taping around the edges of the door so water wouldn't come in. And then we grabbed one of the kids' mattresses. It was like those cheap. The toddler mattresses. Yeah, the toddler mattresses that are basically just plastic and springs. Mm-hmm. And we put that in front of our the glass part of our door. And um, I taped it. I, I pinned it with the the piano, and then I taped it. So hopefully that would have stopped the gla- at least the glass from flying in if something had hit the glass. So that's one thing I will fix. Boarding up once yeah. once we can get wood easily again, we will get um, at least two sheets of plywood for the for our doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, the windows are, were great. We have like really really high quality windows, but. For some reason, our door was overlooked when they were like yeah. thinking about storms, and so we have like a the door I thought was gonna get ripped open, and I actually heard about a couple people whose doors were like flung open by the wind. Oh my gosh, yeah. And um, so it, it can I don't know if anyone's ever been in a house where like the door gets flung open like that during a storm, but if you have a door get flung open or a, gl- a glass break, and there's a hundred mile an hour wind outside, like it will really mess with the air pressure well, in the house. Well, you know how, like, if one door is open and you open the other, just, like, a slight breeze will just, like, slam one door. Yeah. So, so 100 imagine, miles an hour. Yeah, 100. Yeah, that's... So, uh, that coming in is going to, like, like bust windows. and It might not bust windows, but it's going to mess with stuff really bad. And it's going to probably wreck a lot of things. So, that was um, one thing we could have done better. Oh, uh, emergency radio. I didn't yeah. have a non like phone radio uh and so i was luckily we had cell service through most of the storm and so i was able to listen i stayed up until the storm passed it really wasn't until after the storm where we didn't have service yeah it was that's something i also didn't anticipate was that like the cell service the cell service would be gone gone. yeah like it was so hard to send a text or communicate to people that like we were okay or like hey how are you what do you need like yeah. It was so hard to communicate with anyone. Um, another thing that I was thinking of that I just forgot. Oh, if you want to kind of like visually see what we're talking about, I shared a lot about it in Instagram stories. And it's under the highlight Hurricane Ida. So if you want to kind of check that out, I kind of shared our preparations there and shared some videos of... Like him boarding up the door yeah. from the inside with the mattress. One thing that. that we had talked about that would be really nice, uh, because we didn't have our generator 
with us. Oh Our, yeah, we, we did. We, we had my we brought my parents had a generator and they were moving into a new house and so they were going to put a, a whole house generator in and so we had decided that oh we're not going to buy a generator this hurricane season we're just going to wait and then take their generator but their we ended generator up needing it yeah, and they didn't need it, need it. Uh, so we ended up taking it back with us after the first few days but if you don't have a generator uh, one thing that we thought of doing which would, be, would have been really nice is pre-planning meals like mm-hmm. for the next couple of days afterwards so you can have meat and whatnot already taken out of the fridge and put into an ice chest. Yeah. So you can open the ice chest and get it without opening your fridge. Right. Because every time you open your fridge, uh, you're losing the the cold air and yep. makes it that much harder. And so it's like it doesn't take that long for all the food to go bad. Yep. Which is very very stinky it's when you have to super clean it stinky. out. It's yeah. very stinky. We lost a lot of ugh. a lot of produce. Yeah. Especially yeah. Yeah. There was a cucumber that was. Almost unrecognizable. It had, like, grown its own ecosystem around yes. it. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah. Um, so it was helpful to have that generator, though, once we had yeah, it. Yeah, We had some problems with generator with the generator, and then we were, like, swapping back and forth with other generators. But um, something else we learned was that a smart refrigerator yeah, so is, sm- like, a bad idea. <laughs> so smart technology, like, smarter... Um, like smart fridges and whatnot, they are sensitive to, uh, they call it dirty power. And so it has something to, I'm not an electrician by any stretch of the imagination, but it has something to do with the uh, regularity of the electricity, like the, the electrical waves that are coming in. And so if the waves are irregular, um, the it, it has the potential to damage the uh, the object or like the what is it the smart device and so it will frequently just turn off uh, in order to save itself mm-hmm. uh, and so smart TVs are very sensitive to that refrigerators. smart refrigerators are sensitive to that and so uh, if your generator doesn't have a specific component built into it it's likely to just trip the gener or to um, it'll trip the fuse. Um, or the fridge will trip the fuse uh, on that on that outlet for the generator. Mm-hmm. And so when you're buying a generator, if you're wanting to power smart devices like smart fridges, and I say smart fridges, we have like we have a Samsung fridge. It's nothing like crazy fancy, um, but it's like that a, was a just newer. very like surprising. Yes, so older um, fridges tend to do better for whatever reason. Like you're kind of your classical. Fridge on bottom, freezer on top, no touchscreen or anything. Uh, type fridges do better with with the dirtier power. Mm-hmm. So now we also have one of those because we inherited one. Yep. And That's nice. so if if we have a storm and we can't get our fridge to work, we'll just move everything over to our small our small fridge. I also didn't know really what a generator was before all of this. Like I knew that it provided some power. But I had no idea how it worked or what it could do. And so when we are saying generator, like there are places like businesses and stuff that have like a full generator that will just like run everything. And like some people's homes have the same thing, right? Like where it just will click on when the power goes out and then you don't have to do much. Right? Yes. Okay. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at you for confirmation because I still don't really understand it. Whole home generators tend to run off of natural gas. 
Okay. And so they're plugged into like your gas line okay, that, that you, you get for your, like your for your oven and whatnot. Okay. And so, so but these, those will click on automatically. And mm-hmm. the but when most people say generators that you have like for storms, it's like a, a mobile piece of equipment that has uh, outlets in it that you can plug. Right. So plug we were into. able to plug in the fridge and two AC units and like some chargers and lamp. Yeah, just give you perspective, like kind of get so an idea. So it's not like we had power throughout the whole house because of the generator. Right, but it was ex- it's expensive. It is, And yeah. so just to give you an idea, so we ran two AC units, like the two window units. So not like our a whole house was AC, but like two... Two window, window units, units, yeah. And our fridge and two, no, yeah, it's like three LED lights. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it we plug like the a, TV in. It was like a lamp that had three lights on it. Like yeah, three and so LEDs, which like draw, draws like no energy. And chargers for like phones and, and iPads and whatnot. And, and like, I, like I said, every now and again we put the TV on for it. An hour or so. We did watch the BYU game, so we had the the game on while the uh, power was off, and we just had like the the TV plugged into the generator, and it would take about ten gallons of gas a day. Like in twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, like in a twenty four hour period, it would take 10, 10 gallons of gas, and it was a nightmare to get gas. I mean, like there were you would drive, you would wait in line for an hour at least sometimes. Um, and that was if they had gas. And a lot of the other times you would just be driving around hoping to find a gas station that had the gas. The first time, one of the first times we went looking, we passed like seven gas stations before finding one with gas. Yeah, I, my crazy. average was five. Like I would have to go to five different wow. gas stations before I could find one that had any. Yeah, that's crazy. Okay. How do you feel like this affected you spiritually? <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. And I felt like... I definitely feel like it It kind of puts things in perspective, more of like an eternal perspective and like, a, oh, like these are the important things. And I kind of felt like super terrible about myself that it was so hard to not have power. I was like, wow, I must be really spoiled because this is hard to not have power or like to have limited power. Um, and I, I felt very like... Like, this is very sad that I am feeling so terrible about this. But um, I also, just like in a spiritual kind of sense, like I felt like close to Heavenly Father. I felt close, almost feeling like the second coming was like tangible because of all like the destruction and how crazy everything gets. It's like, oh my gosh, like, is this going to be like what it feels like when he comes again? And like, like the prophecies and stuff about all the chaos and it kind of just puts you right there and it's like oh yeah oh (laughs) yeah and i think this is the thought that i wanted to share um tonight was there was a time there was a day during this whole process that uh you said something along the lines of so i don't think that i'm really okay or excited about this idea of living somewhere that has natural disasters all the time we should think about what that looks like for us and i said like yes i would i would prefer to not have natural disasters and i would not choose them but at the same time i think because we experience them uh 
it provides a certain blessing that we couldn't get otherwise. And I think we've run into a fallacy as human beings uh, when we think that because something hasn't happened before or hasn't happened to us or hasn't happened in a long time, that it won't happen. Uh, and so we, we have a hard time perceiving the uh, the signs of the times coming to pass because we're like, oh, well, that hasn't happened or uh, that... Or like, that oh, that's happening in the world, but not to me yet. Right. So it's not happening. And, and so we, we live in this world and we, we think, oh, this world's been this way my whole life. And so it's just going to continue being this way. Like, there's not going to be anything that changes. But the thing is, like, disasters do happen. And when you're in them... Uh, regular society kind of just stops right like you get to a point where you realize like hey uh like for there was a, a you know at least a couple of days there where uh in parts of louisiana if you called the cops to come help you like cops weren't coming like they couldn't get there and so you were like on your own uh, and just that realization or the realization that oh there's no food at the stores and they have no energy even if they had food and so, like, if I don't have food, I'm not going to be able to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just realizing that, like, the normal rules of society, like, sometimes disappear because people are so freaked out and stressed out that they'll do whatever they can. Yeah. To, like, there was a guy, get their way. like, an hour away from us, an hour southeast of us, who ended up uh, killing a guy in a gas line. Because that is insane. And it wasn't the only like there were lots of time like lots, lots of, of fights lots stuff. of fights and there you pretty much had a cop at not every gas station but a lot of the gas stations yeah. who had cops there uh, and so when you're in these situations and you see society like kind of not collapse or crumble but but like just kind of little hints of that little hints of that you're like okay like this is like a real thing and you you can it makes it easier to believe or or conceptualize the second coming and it feels more real and more potentially real because you're like okay like so the like everything going bad like that's like i could see that actually happening mm-hmm. right and i know that like it's not just some completely foreign idea like that is potentially there and because of that you kind of you return you, you turn more to the lord because you can't rely on the society around you to help you um, provide or conceptualize value, I guess, or like belonging or what society means or anything like that in Mm -hmm. those moments where society doesn't seem to be functioning. And so you turn to the Lord more than you usually do. You're like, okay, this is all, this is the only thing that makes sense. Like the only thing that I trust, the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that's comfortable, the only thing that feels supportive and and constant is the Lord, and so we are going to turn to Him and base everything we do around Him, and that's how we should be, always, right? Yeah. Well, I was but, thinking too. Like, I think a lot of us felt this way when all the chaoses of 2020 were happening. Mm-hmm. Like it was just one thing after another. It felt like, and I think a lot of us felt like that question of am i ready like oh the second coming is coming like am i ready am i ready for all this all of this and i think that we've all gotten kind of used to it now (laughs) like with the virus and everything it's like okay we're kind of like 
not, I guess, yeah, like used to it or like numbed by that. And so it's not something that I've been thinking about really lately until the hurricane. And it was like, oh yeah, like, am I ready for, am I ready for him to come yeah. in? Like if this is part of the second coming or like if this is a sign of the times, like it's a good reminder to like, okay, who am I turning towards and what, what do I need to work on? And am I ready for this? Yeah. And one, spiritually I, ready. And, and I, I actually love this, this feeling, this feeling of it's urgency. Kind of scary, it is kind of scary and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's worrisome, but there, there's something to be said about this, like, this more urgent turning to the Lord. Like there, there's something about that that is very fulfilling. So I think that the moral of this discussion is uh, being in hard situations aren't necessarily a bad thing, right? Like we, we can use them to help us come closer to the Lord and they can provide very sweet experiences with him and with his spirit. And so if you find yourself in these situations, I would be less quick to bemoan the, the situation. I, I wouldn't ever wish to be in a, like a natural disaster or a collapse or a riot or anything like that or civil unrest. No way. But if you find yourself in it, um, there are be, there are, there are be, there are <laughs> blessings to be had. Um, so that's my kind of weird, like, spiritual takeaway from this event. Uh, and I, I, I am happier with where I'm at spiritually now than where I was at before the hurricane. Okay. Well, let's hope that we learned our lesson and we don't get any more this year. <laughs> that would be nice. So uh, we want to talk about a few cool stories. Yeah. That- so you've had the opportunity to kind of travel around and help a lot of people. And, um, in the past you did a lot of the hurricane cleanup, the dirty work. Um, but this time you've had kind of a different experience. So why don't you go ahead and talk about what's different this time? Yes. Some of the people that you've come in contact with. So in my calling, so I have a new calling this year than I had last year. This year I've been called to serve on our stake communication council. Uh, and so I know there are a lot of members of the church who don't know that much about their communication council but every stake is supposed to have a communication council and it has a communications director it's kind of like the pr firm i guess or the, it used to be called public affairs uh, but now it's called the communications council uh, so i serve on the communications council as a communications specialist and my specialty i guess would be uh what is it I think it's like opinion leaders. I'm over opinion leaders and outreach to media. Mm-hmm. And I do any of the big writing that we have to, like if we have to write stories or or press releases or those kind of things, uh, I am responsible for that for our stake. Uh, but during these big disasters, uh, we the church sends out tons of brings basically uh, brings in the communications council communication councils from all the areas affected and a lot of the communication councils from the air the surrounding areas to cover what's happening and so our, our mission is kind of several fold 
Part of it is to highlight the work that the church is trying to do in these areas. So part of the reason we want to highlight what the church is doing in our hurricane cleanup efforts is to show people that we are invested in our community and we're not a bunch of weird cultists who like <laughs> do weird things. I guess we people probably still think we do weird things, but uh, to show people that we are invested in our community. Another big portion of the or another reason why we try and highlight what the church is doing is trying to get the word out that we are doing it. Uh, and get people the number to report their their needs. And so we we have a number that you can call to report uh, any work orders that you need to have done. And if you call in, uh, we well if we have enough teams available, we send team out uh, to come cut down trees or cut up trees and haul stuff to the road and tarp houses and gut houses and. Move. It's like all of the pre-work that has to happen before insurance stuff. Yeah, before construction stuff. Before like reconstruction. Yeah. So that all the nasty, nasty stuff that kind of has to be taken care of immediately. We come in and we take care of all of that for free. And the communication councils send out uh, basically field reporters to kind of capture all, all the stuff that's happening. And then we try and get um, like news agencies to come in and newspapers to interact with our priesthood leaders and to visit our command centers and get out into the field with some of our, our teams and then get them to let everybody else know that, Hey, we're doing this. Here's a number. And it's kind of a weird aspect of church service. Honestly, it, it, it's been a little, I never knew it existed until you got calling. Yeah. Like, it's what? been a little difficult for me because, uh, I think on an individual level, uh, we struggle with, balancing two separate commandments so we have the commandments to give with our left hand and not let our right hand know what what we're doing Mm -hmm. and then we also have the commandment to not let not put our candle or our light under a bushel like we need to put it in a spot so it can be seen by the world Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we kind of have to walk this like weird tight rope when it comes to that when it comes to like the church and and trying to showcase what the church is doing because, uh, and if you're not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you're listening to this, um, this might not make as much sense to you, but we believe that our church is the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's not just another church. It's not just a good church. It is. It holds a special place in the world, and we have something unique to offer that cannot be had anywhere else, uh, despite the fact that all, all places have something good. Uh, we just believe that the Lord has given us priesthood authority on the earth to uh, partake of the full blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we highlight the things that we're doing in our hurricane cleanup efforts, uh, we expose the church to a ton of, or we expose a ton of people to the church. Um, So just in, in our ward, I know our missionaries are teaching like three or four people that were helped by some or helped by our crisis cleanup or our helping hands volunteers and so we see that there's a direct spiritual benefit to this or to getting more news out there about what the church is doing it's a really interesting thing we might it might be an interesting topic to have on the podcast mm-hmm. or like for like for a podcast episode so i don't want to go too much in depth into that 
But it's been really fun to kind of get out there and spend my entire time just talking to people. And so I don't do a lot of like the tarping and the unloading of trucks and that kind of stuff. I, I'll do it um, if if like I'm standing there and it needs to I can someone needs help. But for the most part, I'm talking to the people who like to the homeowners or talking to the volunteers or talking to the local officials. Uh, and it's it's been a really interesting and unique take or perspective because I've done tons of hurricane and disaster cleanup. Uh, with the church before but this has been my first time as a communication specialist and kind of like as a reporter uh, but we had one really really awesome experience last weekend you're right if i tell yes yes, yes. Go ahead. so feel free to jump in and ask any questions if i'm okay. like skipping details or it doesn't make sense so last weekend uh on saturday we went to a church um, and it was really frustrating because I felt like we were driving around for like four hours and we couldn't find a place to, to go. We kept like we were trying to track down some teams, those like work crews that were out already, uh, but the service was so spotty. And so we were just like driving around to the different addresses that we knew that they had uh, and we couldn't find anything. And it was very frustrating but then we ended up just because of where we had driven we ended up close to a church that had a big work crew there there was already a communications crew that was working the the site but we decided hey we're not getting any luck anywhere else so let's just let's come here there's a ton of people so we'll be able to talk to somebody and get some stories and we went there and ended up uh, it ended up being where the area one of the area authorities was and so an area authority is one of the not general officers of the church but kind of a step below a general officer of the church they um that's a big whole explanation but they are above stake presidents so a stake president is like a a bishop or a bishop in a catholic diocese and so i don't know what's above a bishop a card. I don't know about if it's a cardinal or I don't know, but anyway, so it's like above several stakes, and and that's a good probably an oversimplification, but there you go. And so he was there, and we were able to talk to him for a while, and found out that he was going to go down to a a church that had a Vietnamese priest. Yeah, and that's pretty much all he knew about it. So somebody had called. Elder Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and said, hey, I have a friend who is a priest in uh, in a Catholic church in Lafitte, Louisiana. He is uh, really active in the Vietnamese community and th- I think that's how, the, that's how the guy who contacted Elder Holland knew the priest, that he was like part of like the Asian American Alliance or some Asian American group and the guy told Elder Holland that they need help. They really, really need help. And Elder Holland reached out, and that task was was given to this area authority, Elder Millington. Um, and we were talking to him, and he said that he was going to go down there. And we said, hey, we would love to go down there with you. And so we drove down together to Lafitte, and it was just – it was devastating so the I, I think what happened was the levee topped which means like the levee didn't break but there was so much water that it came 
up and over the levee. And so with these big storms, you'll get tons and tons of water that gets pushed inland from the water or from the um, from the, the, the wind. And so there wasn't a, an incredible amount of wind damage in the area. We were in some other areas that had more wind damage, but there were there was seven feet of water in the city. And so it was just everything was destroyed. Can you explain a little bit what a levee is? So a levee is I a, didn't know what it was till I moved down here. So a levee is a built up barrier to keep water out of lower lying areas. Kind of like a dam. Kind of like a dam. Like a miniature dam, right? It's not really... A dam, like, stops, like, a body of water from flowing in. Like, right? Okay. And so it dams up and it builds up, like, a, a bigger body of water behind. And so a levee is more... It's Think of it like a wall that keeps water out. And so some levees, especially, like, in New Orleans, are just, like, cement walls. Uh, some levees are big mounds of dirt and cement. Some levees are... A combination of the two or made of like corrugated metal so there's there's a bunch of different things you can do but basically a levee is a raised area that keeps water out of lower lying inhabited areas so in lafitte then the levee broke or it just the water like the water water like got over the levee i think that's what happened i'm not entirely sure because i knew they had some protection but uh basically the levee failed yeah, and and, and th- they're on the coast basically, so that might I I don't know I don't know, I I do know that the like the peak of the flooding was on Monday and the storm kind of passed Saturday night, Sunday morning, so I'm not exactly sure how the water got in there, mm-hmm. but there was seven feet of water in the city, and almost all the buildings in in the community were raised. But not that much. And so everything in the city was at least partially underwater with the exception of a few buildings that were raised like 15 feet high. And it was just, it was devastating because they would bring in tons and tons of water, but it also brought a ton of like mud and sewage. And when the water left, you had like three to six inches of just muck covering everything that is so sad. And it got in. If the water was in it, that muck got in it. And so, like in fridges, in uh, in vehicles, and everything, it was just it was nasty and it smelled horrible. And so we got there uh, ten days How after. How do you even clean that? I would just want to leave. Like just so. So what you do is pick you just up and start a new life somewhere else. You can get you like a um, you can get heavy machinery. You can get a. Oh my gosh, what is it called? Oh man, all my like machine, machine, machine loving friends are gonna think I'm an oh. idiot. Like a front loader, is that what it is? I don't know. I don't know my tractors. Yeah, I don't know my either. So basically, you get these <laughs> machines that come in with scrapers and they just kind of push it off. Mm-hmm. And if it's in buildings, you get these big squeegees and you just kind of push it out out of the house. Oh. And then you have to like pressure wash. And so we came in 10 days later. We met with Father Luke Nguyen, N-G, oh man, N-G-Y-U-E-N or N-G-U-Y-E-N, I guess how it is. And this is the Vietnamese priest? Yes, he's a Catholic priest. And mm-hmm. he had like coordinated with the mayor and with a bunch of other groups in the area to turn 
their fellowship center into a um, into basically a distribution center for for goods. And so people brought in a ton of goods and food and were donating it. And they were getting some from big NGOs, some from individual donators. And then they were just giving it out. Anytime people came, they said, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I need. And then they would run inside and grab stuff and bring it in or bring it out. And they were doing an awesome job, but it was they just had a handful of people. Mm-hmm. And you could tell everyone was exhausted because they have been doing it for like a week at that point. And they were trying to do the best that they could. And they were doing the best they could. They were doing an awesome, awesome job. And I was luckily lucky enough to be there with Elder Millington as Elder Millington said, Hey guys, what do you need? And they gave us, we, we went over a bunch of things that they needed as far as like uh, cleaning items and food and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was such an awesome experience because of how quick everything happened. So Father Luke said, We need these things. And Elder Millington said, Hey, would. Um, would it help if you had more food? And they said, yes, that would be awesome. And so right there, Father Luke called the mayor and said, hey, mayor, uh, we might be able to get more food, more stuff in. Do we have more places to uh, distribute the, fu- the food to harder hit areas? And, and right there, they coordinated it with the mayor and with some other uh, local officials. And so then they located the place that they were going to distribute the food. And then uh, Elder Millington said, okay, let me get my phone out. And so he pulls his phone out and has it on speakerphone. And th- that's exactly what Father Luke had done. And we were all like huddled around it because there were Humvees driving up and down the road, mm. uh, like trying to like get to and from the, the military checkpoints. And I say checkpoints, like the military locations where they were, they had to build a couple of bridges and they were distributing food. And so there were military locations throughout the area. And so the Humvees were super, super loud. And so we're all huddled around this, these phones, um, speaking to people on speakerphone. And by the end of the call, Elder Millington had secured like, I think 24 pallets of food oh my uh, to be delivered by tractor trailer. And so like a pallet of food is a ton of food. So 24 pallets was great and then uh, father luke said like we don't have anywhere to put this like the our fellowship center still is a mess and like we we need a lot of manpower to clean it and so like, we're gonna need to spend a lot of time cleaning it before the food gets here in the next couple of days uh, and elder millington said okay how many people could you keep busy tomorrow if we brought people in and there was this guy jamie i believe was his name uh awesome awesome guy was not only donating his time but he was bringing his employees in and i believe paying them to be there and like man the felt the fellowship center and and do all that kind of heavy lifting Uh, and he was coordinating the physical recovery efforts and jamie said i think if you give me like 10 to 12 guys i'd be able to keep them busy all day and Elder Millington said, okay, I'll get you 50 tomorrow. <laughs> and so he organized for 50 people to come. Um, and so we, as soon as we left and drove back to, to Baton Rouge, he gets on his phone and he's calling a bunch of the command centers and a bunch of the state presidents in the area and coordinating this effort to get 50 people out there. And I, I didn't get there. I didn't count how many people there were there, but there were at least 50 who came the next day. And I know we're going to be providing more over the next several weekends. 
And the last thing I want to share, or, so we, last thing I want to share is from the next day on Sunday, in Lafitte again, um, there was a Knights of Columbus hall down the road from um, from the church that was being gutted out by a crew of, of uh, Helping Hands volunteers. And I went over there, we talked to them for a little bit, and took some pictures, interviewed them, and um, then we talked to some of the, the neighbors in the area. Okay, maybe two stories. Sorry. I just remember another one. And there was this guy I ran into who was a World War II veteran. There are not a lot of them running around anymore. Wow. His son... It was heartbreaking because his son's house had the had half of his roof ripped off, mm-hmm. and it was fifteen feet in the air, and so it didn't have any water damage from the flood, but it had half the roof ripped off by the wind, and then a ton of water damage. Oh my goodness! And so the guy like fly the this guy's dad flags me down. And is like I I don't know what to do. My son has five kids, and he's a firefighter. No six kids. Six kids. He's a firefighter. II veteran. No, so the the World War II veteran was the dad. Right. Well, his son is probably still very old. Yeah, I mean, I don't, right? I don't know. he's probably like in his at least in his sixties. Okay, sorry, I was thinking old. <laughs> okay, never mind. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly. Yeah. Okay. And maybe he married late. Yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. But basically, this guy, World War II veteran, and he looked it. I mean, you could tell he'd at least been on the earth back when World War II was fun. <laughs> okay. And he was just heartbroken. He's like, I don't know what to do. My son needs help. Like, he's a firefighter, and so he hasn't been able to take care of his home. Um, and he, he and he just needs some help. And I just, I talked to him for a little bit. I was like, we can't really do that. That's way above what we can do. We can do some gutting, and we can help with that kind of stuff. But we can't put a new roof on your son's house. Mm-hmm. And... I said, like, give me his information. I'll try and put him in contact with some organizations that will be able to help. And at the end, uh, I, I asked him if like, I could pray with him. And so I'm standing there. He's in his car, and he has his window down. And I'm outside standing in the rain <laughs> praying with him. And it was just heartbreaking to like see how completely flabbergasted he was like he was like i don't know where else to turn i've gone through so much he took he said he had like fought in the 101st which was a airborne unit in world war ii and saw a lot of really nasty action and uh, it was it was really i feel as i'm sharing it now i feel like i can't convey all the feelings that are brought. It was just a really mm-hmm. powerful experience to be there mm-hmm. and then on the way back from that uh, Knights of Columbus Hall on the trash pile I saw a a picture of Mother Teresa like a smiling picture of Mother Teresa and it like I I couldn't turn away from it I saw it I was like I need to grab that and so I went and I grabbed it and um, I was like I don't know why but I need to bring this back to Father Luke and so I brought it back to Father Luke and I, I said, hey, Father Luke, can I, can I talk to you for a second? He came over, and he, um, I, I showed him the picture, and, like, we both got tears in our eyes, and I was like, I, I said, I, I found this, and I couldn't leave it. I, I just, I felt that 
we were, you know, I just felt like a strong kinship with this, this Catholic saint who would, you know, serve the people of, of, I believe Mumbai, but it was, I believe it was India for sure. Um, and like, we're continuing the work that she was doing. And we both like kind of sat there and, um, it was just a really, really cool moment. And this, to see Latter-day Saints and Catholics and people from other religions working side by side, trying to alleviate this pain and suffering of, of people in the, in that community, because the government couldn't do it. Like they, they did not have the capacity to alleviate the suffering. Mm -hmm. And so these followers of Christ from different backgrounds all came together, not trying to build themselves up at all, not trying to, uh, trying to claim credit or to make themselves look like they were better than anybody else. None of that. Like we just came together to help each other. And it was just such a powerful experience, uh, that it makes it hard for me to wish that, you know, like we hadn't been here and we hadn't experienced this just because I would have missed out on those kinds of spiritual experiences. Now I won't wish for bad things to happen again, (laughs) but I am really grateful that I was able to be on the ground for that. Yeah. That's really cool that you get to like have those experiences and meet a lot of different people. Yeah. And I know it's hard for you because well it's just i have such a different experience than you do because there's nothing i can do as a like as a a mom of young children like i can't go out and help like i just stay home yeah and and i if i didn't have my calling as it stands like we could say okay i'm well you're pregnant right now so you can't be on a no like even if even if we were to swap it's not like i could do anything i'm like 30 weeks pregnant like right it's not gonna happen yeah and (laughs) so I, it's it's been like kind of hard in a different way for me to just kind of do the same thing and stay at home with the kids yeah. while everyone else is like running around like scrambling to meet other people's needs and um do good and serve others and it, it's it's different it kind of at first it made me like jealous but at the same time like I don't necessarily want to be doing all of those hard things because it freaks me out, honestly. And I, I, I'm so inexperienced that I feel like I would show up to like some work site and be like, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And I don't want to be a burden on the other crews and stuff because I have no idea what to yeah. do. But the um, only way you learn is you're gonna have to. Just yeah, do and it. I know that eventually I, I do want to go out and help, but I feel like it's gonna be a f- at least a few years from now. Yeah, you never know. I mean, yeah. uh, it might come. I would love for you to be able to get out so you could see it. Because it's it's just, it's a time when you feel like the gospel really, really comes alive. Yeah, I bet. Like when you're just, when you're having your sacrament meeting with your work crew and like the sacraments on the, uh, on the back of a pickup truck. Yeah, that is different. And so you have like your little sacrament meeting and then you have a, a short spiritual thought Sunday morning. And then as soon as you're done, you power up the chainsaws and you go cut some trees and you <laughs> drag them out to the road. It, it's a really cool experience. You feel like, all right, you know what? This gospel, like it means something, mm-hmm. right? Like this is, this gospel is motivating people to drive for like seven to eight hours from their homes and stay in a tent for two nights and 
do hard manual labor. And so you're getting like IT guys and doctors and lawyers coming out of the woodwork from all across the South to cut up trees and tarp roofs. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a really powerful image to see that, to be a part of it. So I really want you to get a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I need it. Uh, so I think that um, we are going to start something for the stake. I need to get some uh, permissions from our stake president. But I think I'm going to start a blog for our stake oh. and for the area and just mm-hmm. start posting stories. That's a really cool idea. So uh, we have tons and tons of stories and more photos than we're ever going to be able to get out to everybody. So we, we take a bunch of stuff and we try and get it out to new, like local news outlets. And we also have to send it to our area presidency for their review. Um, but we have tons and tons of really awesome stories. And so I want somebody to get them and I don't want them just to sit in a Google Drive somewhere. So right. I'm going to see if I can get permission to, to post everything to a to a, a blog for the state. That stake. would be really, really cool. So if we do that, uh, we will let you know on Instagram. Yeah. Um, less than loves or loves real quick because we have We've gone, gone long. long. And we always say we want to be short. And I then, know, and then we don't. So whatever. My love right now mm-hmm. is the Circle K Sip and Save promotion. Card? It's not really a card. Mm-hmm. So you pay $6 a month and you get a drink every day. One drink every day. So like a fountain drink like or an ice cream. Yeah. That doesn't mean that Andrew does. No, no, no. But you could. Um, and so everyone knows that I have, have an icy addiction. I have an icy... I wouldn't say addiction. <laughs> it's just... Okay. It's my one vice. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't have a lot of vices, but it's you my don't one have, vice. It's not an addiction. Um, You're fine. I don't let my... I've had to set up new rules for myself because before I was like, okay, we would go two to three times a week... As like a celebration thing, usually two times. And now that we have this, it's like, okay, well, I pay $6 and I get a drink. I can get a drink every day. So I need to put parameters around it. And so now it's, I have to like work out and burn a certain number of calories before I. Like not get the extra large every time. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. I've, I've scaled back from the extra large. So now I'm just getting a large IC and I have to work. I have to work out if I'm going to have it that day. Yeah. And so it's awesome. Okay, I have a lesson, love. And I kind of already mentioned it already, but that it was so hard for me to not have power. Yeah. And, like, I'm still processing that feeling, and it, it, I don't know, I'm still processing it. And, I like, my less than love is that I less than love this feeling. Like, why have I become so dependent on power or devices that it, really like it 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 wasn't just hard like oh this is hard it was like changing my mood like it was making me irritable and angry and i was like okay like this is really sad but this is my reaction to not having power and i think the extremity of the situation is also a big part of it right it's not just the oh i can't watch tv it's the oh no everything's different i can't open the fridge i I can't open the fridge Everyone is going to the bathroom with a flashlight, so I know that the bathroom's disgusting, and like just yeah, and it's you, you, we can't drive around because there are so many trees down, like we can't get out anywhere, or I don't want to drive because I don't want to use gas unnecessarily. Yeah, and it was just like all the little things that you don't think about when you have power. 
yeah, when suddenly again, you don't, it's like, oh my gosh. And again, it's not just the power, it's like the situation. Yeah, extreme. the situation. Yeah. yeah. And I think there, there is something to be said about I just felt intentionally so trying to like make yourself more gritty and more resilient. Mm-hmm. And so we decided uh, after that, okay, we are after the hurricane that I want to start taking the kids out backpacking and like get them in the backcountry yeah. a little bit more and like get them a little bit more gritty. Yeah, we've also, I mean, it's only been about two weeks now since having power, but that we, we can have, um, me and the kids at least have, like, limited screen time. I used to have, like, not very many rules about it, but at this point, I've, we've gone, like, a week and a half with some pretty strict rules on screen time, and my mood is better, and the kids are behaving better, too, and I've noticed that, and that's helped. So, yeah, anyways. All right. That's that. Well, we love you guys. Hopefully something we said uh, will spark some interesting conversations in your home about Jesus Christ and about how you can better prepare uh, yourself to meet him during his second coming or when you finally meet him at the Judgment Day, whenever that is. Yeah. Uh, And if you want to see more pictures and um, kind of see what happened with us during the hurricane, go ahead and follow us on Instagram and see that highlight. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's called Hurricane Ida. And as always, if you have enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, or you're just feeling extra nice, please leave us a (laughs) review, rate the podcast. If your, um, if your podcast service that you're using allows for that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh if it doesn't please go get on apple podcasts and then <laughs> leave us the rating or just interview. screenshot where you're listening and share on your yeah. stories and tag us on it Instagram. not only makes us feel really good but it helps other people find out about the podcast and uh we are committed to putting out good content that is faith building and we want to help as many people as we can mm-hmm. all right We love you. Keep the faith.